The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. So the big news this weekend, of course, was that Donald Trump was acquitted in his second impeachment trial. No president has ever been impeached twice. Donald Trump has been impeached twice. And now in both subsequent impeachment trials, remember the House impeaches, the Senate tries. Trump has been acquitted in both trials and to convict on impeachment, you need two thirds uh, vote to convict in the Senate, all 100 senators being present. That means that on Saturday, 67 Senate votes were needed and they got only 57. That's all 50 Democrats, including newly minted Democratic senators John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, radical liberal Raphael Warnock, that guy, remember him? That includes the two of them reminding us. Uh, of, of the importance of those January 5th primaries getting to 50 and then seven Republicans voting to convict. Those were Richard Burr, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, Ben Sass and Pat Toomey. We will talk about why those seven uh, a little bit later. But 57 is not 67. Simple math tells us that. And so Donald Trump did end up acquitted. Now, not a surprise. We knew all along that it would go this way. But one of the really wacky things that happened is that Senate minority leader, no longer majority leader, Senate minority leader Mitch McConnell voted not guilty and then immediately took the floor to give a defiant and detailed speech about how Donald Trump did incite the riot and did incite the violence and the insurrection. And we're going to look at some clips here. Mitch McConnell moments after voting not guilty, making as good a case as the House impeachment managers about Donald Trump's guilt, about Donald Trump's responsibility, about Donald Trump's culpability for the insurrection and the riots that took place on January 6th. But he voted not guilty. Let's get into it. There's no question. None. That President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole, which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. The issue is not only the president's intemperate language on January 6th. It is not just his endorsement of remarks in which an associate urged, quote, trial by combat. It was also the entire manufactured atmosphere of looming catastrophe, the increasingly wild myths, myths about a reverse landslide election that was somehow being stolen, some secret coup. I, I mean, a total 
and complete indictment of Donald Trump's actions. But so why vote not guilty, Mitch? And here Mitch McConnell explains. If President Trump were still in office, I would have carefully considered whether the House managers proved their specific charge. By the strict criminal standard, the president's speech probably was not incitement. However, however, in the context of impeachment, the Senate might have decided this was acceptable shorthand for the reckless actions that preceded the riot. But in this case, the question is moot because former President Trump Trump is constitutionally not eligible for conviction. Now, this is a close question, no doubt. Donald Trump was the president when the House voted, though not when the House chose to deliver the papers. And there is basically the explanation. McConnell going on to say that since the punishment for impeachment is removal from office and Donald Trump is out of office, that this was not a proper impeachment. They cannot convict as a matter of procedure is what Mitch McConnell is arguing. Now, in saying that Mitch McConnell misses a number of important details. The first detail is that a week ago today, last Monday, we had a full day of debate about whether the trial was OK and whether the Senate had jurisdiction to try a former president. And they voted and settled that issue 56 to 44. But McConnell won't let it go. The, the idea of how the Senate works is that as a body, the Senate dealt with that question. It wasn't unanimous. Mitch McConnell was one of the 44 who believed that the Senate did not have that right. But as a body, and again, if you want to say how you know the Senate is not a legal body, so why is the Senate even voting on the constitutionality of the proceedings? They chose to, and they decided that yes, 56 to 44, they can do the trial, meaning if they determine the person did what they're accused of doing, they can say guilty. But McConnell doesn't care. So McConnell is using an already adjudicated issue to say that's why I voted not guilty. Second, it's not just removal from office that is being debated and voted on and, and is the punishment. It is also barring Trump from running again, a punishment which could be meted out. But Mitch McConnell chooses not to mention that and only focus on removal from office. So a truly pathetic attempt by Mitch McConnell to play both sides. He gets his not guilty vote in and appeases the Trumpists. He denounces the actions of Trump appeasing the more sane Republicans and on he goes, as he has been doing for year after year after year. Uh, impeachment manager Madeline Dean noticed how bizarre of a situation it was. Mitch McConnell voting not guilty and then speaking 90 percent about why Trump is guilty and then mentioning, but he's out of office, so I had to vote not guilty. Take a look at this Madeline Dean clip. Uh, it was powerful to hear the 57 guilties. And then it was puzzling to hear and see Mitch McConnell stand and say not guilty and then minutes later stand again and say he was guilty of everything. History will remember uh, that 
statement of uh, speaking out of two sides of his mouth. Now, different Republican senators have been citing different reasons for why they voted not guilty. Most of them, some uh, some taking the Mitch McConnell approach uh, about procedure. Others saying Trump didn't really do the incitement, but really it's just political expediency, because when you look at the Republicans who did vote to convict, you start to get a picture of what's going on here. Lisa Murkowski knows she doesn't need to be on Trump's side to win in Alaska, so she's free to do whatever she wants. Ben Sass has never really cared about party approval, and he's taken hits from the Republican Party and he doesn't seem to care. So that's Ben Sass. Cassidy is in Louisiana, where there are no standard party primaries. He doesn't have to worry about that. Mitt Romney. OK, after the meeting where he had the frog's legs and thought maybe Trump would make him secretary of state after that, Romney really hasn't cared. And we know he doesn't need Donald Trump's support uh, in Utah because Utah Republicans are some of the most anti-Trump Republicans in the country. Pat Toomey and Richard Burr, they're retiring, so they don't care. And then Susan Collins has this more moderate constituency in Maine. So these aren't coincidences that these are the seven Republicans who voted to convict. These were not seven Republicans who believed Trump was guilty and 43 who did not. This was probably several dozen Republicans who believed Trump was guilty, seven of which seven of whom uh, have particular circumstances that allow them to actually vote their conscience rather than what we saw for many Republicans. And of course, you have many Republicans who genuinely believe that this was all uh, you know, unnecessary and unfair and all of that. I'm, I'm guessing well, I don't know which ones those are. I guess Ted Cruz would be one, maybe Josh Hawley, some others. So uh, that's that Trump acquitted 57 to 43, a majority, a majority saying guilty, but needing that two thirds vote Trump acquitted. And let's now get into some of the other interesting moments from the last day of the trial, the last couple of days of the trial. There were many compelling moments sprinkled throughout the hours and hours of presentations during Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. One of the most interesting came during the portion of the trial when senators can send up questions to be answered by either or bo both the House impeachment managers and Donald Trump's defense lawyers. Bernie Sanders sent up a really simple question and it completely set off attorney Michael Vanderveen, one of Donald Trump's attorneys. And the question was simply, did Trump lie about winning the election? Is it true what the House managers said, which is that for months, Donald Trump wrongly claimed to have won the election? Bernie asked it. Vanderveen went nuts asking who asked that? And a titillating exchange took place. So we'll take a look. The question is read by the clerk, but it's Bernie's question that Bernie sent up. And when Vanderveen asks who asked that, you will hear Bernie in the background say, I did. And then all hell breaks loose. And counsel for the former president recognized for two and a half minutes. Of course, the uh, clerk will read the question again. The House prosecutors have stated over and over again that President Trump was perpetrating a big lie when he repeatedly claimed that the election was stolen from him and that he actually won the election by a landslide. Are the prosecutors right when they claim that Trump was telling a big lie or in your judgment, 
did Trump actually win the election? The uh, uh, counsel for the former president have two and a half minutes. My judgment? Who asked that? My judgment's irrelevant in this proceeding. It absolutely they, um, is. What's supposed to happen here is the article of impeachment is supposed to be. The Senate will be in order. Um, the uh, senators under the rules cannot challenge the, uh, the content of the response. The uh, council will continue. May I have the question read again, please? The House prosecutors have stated over and over again that President Trump was perpetrating a big lie when he repeatedly claimed that the election was stolen from him and that he actually won the election by a landslide. Are the prosecutors right when they claim that Trump was telling a big lie? Or in your judgment, did Trump actually win the election? In my judgment, it's irrelevant to the question before this body. What's relevant in this impeachment article is, were Mr. Trump's words insightful to the point of violence and riot? That's the charge. That's the question. And the answer is no. So Michael Vanderveen really not liking Bernie's question but it actually got Vanderveen to say something fascinating. You heard Vanderveen there say the only issue here is whether what Trump said was an incitement to the riots. Many of the Republicans who voted not guilty, including Mitch McConnell, as we just covered, said Trump did incite the riots, but that's not the question. So I, I this is not trivial. Understand how disjointed and pathetic this all is. Trump's own lawyer, when asked by Bernie, was Trump lying when he said he won the election, says the only, only, only thing being adjudicated here is did Donald Trump incite the riots? Mitch McConnell comes in and says not guilty. Yes, Trump incited the riots. Yes, what Trump did is morally indefensible. Yes, what Trump did was foreseeable in leading to what it led to. But that's not the issue. The issue is simply whether we can convict a president that's already out of office. Even Trump's own lawyer there says the only question is whether Trump incited the riot. And if yes, then presumably you vote guilty. But Mitch votes not guilty and then says Trump did incite the riot. But it's a procedural explanation for why I voted not guilty. They aren't even in agreement about what this trial was about. Now, to deal with the other part, there are people who wrote to me and said it was funny to see Vanderveen triggered by Bernie's question, but that factual question isn't actually relevant to these proceedings. Now, strictly speaking, it is true that the lawyer's opinion about a matter uh, like that isn't relevant to whether Trump is or isn't guilty. But remember that this isn't a court of law. This is an impeachment court in the U.S. Senate. And adhering to the truth is relevant. Much of the case that Vanderveen and Trump's other lawyers made didn't adhere to the truth. So merely and, and remember, it's not a criminal proceeding. Senators can ask anything as a check on the validity and comprehension of these lawyers. It was interesting to hear Bernie ask such a basic factual question. It's also relevant that in the entire context in which Trump's actions are being interpreted, 
in terms of his inciting the riot, it would be different if in reality Trump had won. Trump may. I'm not saying that the moral consideration about the riot would necessarily be different. That would be for each senator to, to think about and judge. And for us, if the election really had been stolen from Trump, I think there are tens of millions of people, including many on the left, who would see the entire thing differently. So um, uh, an interesting moment for sure. And Vanderveen just I mean, like instantly hair trigger set off by Bernie's question. Let me know your thoughts now that the impeachment trial is done. What's next? I'll talk later about, well, one of the things that should be immediate is covid relief. But send me your thoughts. You can find me on Twitter at dpackman. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. When you see me sitting here at the microphone, oftentimes I'm wearing a shirt by a company called Teddy Stratford. And I love these shirts so much that I asked Teddy Stratford to be a sponsor of the show. And here's why I like their shirts so much. With other slim fit button up shirts, you often get this weird looking gap between the buttons where it looks kind of stretched out. But Teddy Stratford actually has a patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which secures the shirt against your chest so it doesn't look stretched. And most importantly, it just provides a nicer looking fit overall. And the entire shirt is specially designed to really improve the way your upper body looks when you're wearing it. It also has a special type of collar that prevents it from drooping down and spreading open, which is another really great thing about these shirts. All of these things really do a lot to make a big difference when you're looking at a shirt. And that's why I like to wear Teddy Stratford shirts on the show. Go check them out at davidpackman.com slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15 percent off your first order if you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout. That's P-A-K-M-A-N. Let's face it. Most healthy snacks don't taste that good. They don't fill you up. They don't really satisfy your cravings, which is why you should check out Monk Pack, today's sponsor. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars taste like your favorite delicious sweet snacks, but each bar has less than one gram of sugar, only two to three grams of net carbs, and they're just 150 calories. These are perfect for a keto or low carb diet or anybody who wants to cut back on sugar. Flavors include caramel sea salt, sea salt dark chocolate and peanut butter dark chocolate. That's my go to. I love the Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars because they're just a good balance of sweet and salty, soft and chewy and a great crunch from the nuts and seeds. And they will give you all of your money back if you don't love them as much as I do. Go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. And they'll give you 20 percent off when you use coupon code Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Our program is primarily and uh, importantly funded by our audience, uh, listeners to the podcast, viewers to the YouTube channel, people listening on the radio, watching on Free Speech TV. I invite you to grab a membership at joinpakman.com. You'll get the daily members only bonus show, commercial free audio and video streams of the show, and the 
satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting independent media. Sign up at joinpacman.com. So we spoke earlier. Uh, Trump's second impeachment trial is over. He's been acquitted exactly as we predicted. I was expecting five Republicans to vote guilty. We got seven. That's something, but still not the 67 that were required to convict. Now, with impeachment out of the way, and not that this should have delayed COVID relief anyway, but now with impeachment out of the way, no more excuses. It's time to get COVID relief done. Now, I am already. To be very clear, I think Joe Biden's been been doing a good job so far. I like how much he's gotten done and how quickly he's got it done. Joe Biden did say checks going out right away when I'm sworn in. If we have the two Senate seats, Democrats have the two Senate seats. We're getting close to a month and we're still dealing with how exactly is this uh, stimulus bill going to pass? It is increasingly and abundantly clear that at least in the lead up, Republicans aren't going to play ball. Now, I've said before, um, I think that the political risk of voting no on the stimulus bill is too great for all Republicans to vote no. I believe that if Democrats move forward with passing the covid stimulus package, one point nine trillion dollars via budget reconciliation, which requires only a simple majority, meaning they can do it with 50 senators and Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote, vote. I believe that if that's the way to do it, they should do it. This is too important and it was Joe Biden's promise after all. But I think you will get some Republicans who go who go for it because many of the same Republicans who voted guilty for Trump in the second impeachment trial have more moderate constituencies and or don't care so much about being seen as sticking with the Republicans and being on the team. I think it's quite plausible Mitt Romney would would go for it. Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Ben Sass, Pat Toomey, a lot of the same people who voted guilty on Saturday for Donald Trump, I think ultimately will come around because they realize that this is actually what their constituents want. So there's a new New York Times article which says the Biden agenda now with now with impeachment out of the way, the Biden agenda takes center stage and that the order, the priorities will be passing the one point nine trillion dollar stimulus bill and then doing green infrastructure and then doing immigration and then doing climate change and, and starting to go through this list. Now, that's probably 18 months of stuff. We have to be realistic about how quickly you know, maybe a year. It's not clear, but we just have to get the covid relief bill done. It's very clear that that is the next step. It's very clear that Joe Biden is now risking failing on a major campaign promise. You can you can argue that he already failed in the sense that he said it would happen right away and it's been a month. He initially said it'd be two thousand dollar checks. Then it was, well, it'll be fourteen hundred to get to the total of two thousand. OK, some are defending that some are not. Some are saying it's a flip flop. Regardless, we're almost a month in. It's time to do it. And so the report from The New York Times says that uh, this is now the priority and that Joe Biden and Democrats are willing to go it alone. What, what has changed over the last two weeks? Nothing. Uh, Joe Biden brought Republicans to the White House. They wanted a plan that was it, it was humiliatingly small. It was a micro plan, I would call it. And it was less than one third the size of what Joe Biden and Democrats want. You're negotiating with people who are negotiating in bad faith. They're negotiating to, down down to something that's pathetic. It's peanuts for what we need. Just do it. It's time to get it done. And uh, we will we will soon see uh, whether Joe Biden understands the limits of so-called unity and the limits of bipartisanship. And as Jen Saki Saki, now I know as Jen Saki said many times now, bipartisanship doesn't mean 
that you unite Republicans and Democrats into one party. Democrats say one point nine trillion and it includes the uh, pre you know, it includes the payments that we've outlined before in terms of payments to individuals, payments for children, business stimulus, enhanced unemployment, money for vaccine, all these different things. Republicans want something so dramatically different that there's really no way to negotiate to anything that would make sense. The American people are overwhelmingly on the side of Joe Biden and Democrats, not everybody, but uh, significant support for the one point nine trillion dollar package. So it's just time to pass it. And uh, this would be a uh, major accomplishment for Joe Biden. My expectation would be that as high as Joe Biden's approval rating is right now, and it's the highest initial job approval of any president since Bill Clinton in 1993, over 28 years right now. This is the highest initial approval rating of any president dating back 28 years. I think it goes higher if Joe Biden is able to get this done in the next 10 days. And if not, it will start to be a drag on him politically. Politics aside, we need to do it for the economy. We need to do it for people. And I remain cautiously optimistic that in the next seven to 10 days, there will be progress. We'll see what is said about it at this week's press briefings with Jen Psaki, which of course we'll be covering on YouTube, Twitch and Facebook. Moments after being acquitted in his second impeachment trial on Saturday with 57 senators voting to convict but falling short of the required 67 senators, Donald Trump immediately put out a letter saying he is not going away. We've been wondering, will Trump go away or will he stick around in politics? At least for now, Trump claims he is not going to go away. We will talk later about the implications of this, but he wrote on Saturday. We'll look at his letter. I want to first thank my team of dedicated lawyers and others for their tireless work upholding justice and defending truth. Not exactly what they did, but okay. Trump says my deepest thanks as well to all of the United States senators and members of Congress who stood proudly for the Constitution we all revere and for the sacred legal principles at the heart of our country. Well, they didn't. Many of them wrongly said you can't. Uh, try and or convict a former president. That is not actually the reality constitutionally. Trump goes on to say our cherished constitutional republic was founded on the impartial rule of law, the indispensable safeguard for our liberties and our, our rights and our freedoms. It is a sad commentary on our times that one political party in America is given a free pass to denigrate the rule of law, defame law enforcement, cheer mobs, excuse rioters and transform justice into a tool of political vengeance and persecute blacklist cancel and suppress all people with viewpoints with whom that which they with whom or which they disagree. That sounds like what the rioters did. Trump saying that to criticize, I guess, Democrats. He goes on and says, I always have and always will be a champion for the unwavering rule of law, the heroes of law enforcement and the right of Americans to peacefully and honorably debate the issues of the day without malice and without hate. This has been yet another phase of the greatest witch hunt in the history of our country. No president has ever gone through anything like it. Well, no president has ever done the things Trump did. And it continues because our opponents cannot forget the almost 75 million people, the highest number ever for a sitting president who voted for us just a few short months ago. No one's forgetting them. We remember them and we're horrified by them. Nobody's forgotten them. I also want to convey my gratitude to the millions of decent, hardworking, law abiding, God and country loving citizens who have bravely supported these important principles in these very difficult and challenging times. Our historic, patriotic and beautiful movement to make America great again has only just begun. 
key moment in the months ahead. I have much to share with you, and I look forward to continuing our incredible journey together to achieve American greatness for all of our people. There has never been anything like it. We have so much work ahead of us, and soon we will emerge with a vision for a bright, radiant and limitless American future. Together, there is nothing we cannot accomplish. Trump saying we remain one people, one family and one glorious nation under God. And it's our responsibility to preserve this magnificent inheritance for our children and for many gener and for generations of Americans to come. May God bless all of you and may God forever bless the United States. I know that's not true. He did say United States. It was in writing, so the slur didn't apply. So most of what Trump says is completely backwards. But that's not surprising. I wasn't expecting Donald Trump to suddenly tell the truth. But the matter of practical importance here is that of if and how Trump will remain in politics and remain a force in the Republican Party, not forever, but at least for the next few years. We know based on a poll from 10 days ago, 64 percent of Republican voters said it said they would follow Trump to another party. Sixty four, two thirds almost of the Republican Party is willing to leave if Trump says, here's my new party, come with me. And with Trump putting out a statement like this, it doesn't seem as though uh, Trump is planning to go quietly. Now, the questions that remain include, will Trump's involvement in Republican politics help Republicans or hurt them in 2021 in the gubernatorial races that there are? Uh, will Trump's involvement in the Republican Party help or hurt them in 2022 when they want, presumably, to take back control of the House of Representatives, take back control of the Senate? Will Trump end up criminally charged in Georgia, where he's under criminal investigation in New York, in other states? And will that interfere with Donald Trump's political plans? And will the Republican Party, which for now is still officially speaking, mostly behind Donald Trump, will they sour with Trump and say enough is enough at some point? These are the questions we don't yet know the answers. But judging from what Donald Trump is saying, he's going to try something in the next few months in terms of an involvement, and we will see how the Republican Party reacts. Curious to know your thoughts. We'll have more coverage of this on the David Pakman Show Instagram page, which you can find at David Pakman Show. Find me on Instagram at david.pakman, and we will be back right after this. I will argue that the extremist wing of the Republican Party has become too big to fail. The radicals are too numerous to simply go away. And we'll talk about that after the break. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you ever feel like you just don't have enough time to read all the books you want to read, you have to check out one of my favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist takes thousands of popular nonfiction books and distills each one down into an ebook or audiobook that you can get through in just 15 minutes where you're getting all the key takeaways from the book. Just imagine how you'll be able to expand your horizons and knowledge by being able to soak up all of the important insights from 10 different books in an afternoon. Obviously, it's perfect for exposing yourself to a new book you otherwise wouldn't have time for, or you can use it to revisit a book you've already read or use it to preview a book before you buy the full version and read it. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way. 
and it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25 percent off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. There are so many practical advantages to using steady MD for primary care. And it's also so much more affordable. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman to take the free quiz and see which doctor is right for you. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me. Again, that's steadymd.com slash Pacman. There's no risk, no commitment to get started. That's S T E A D Y M D dot com forward slash P A K M A N. Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. One of the questions we keep asking is whether the future of the Republican Party is in Mitt Romney, is it in Lindsey Graham, or is it in Marjorie Taylor Greene? Uh, Mitt Romney being at this point anyway, an anti-Trump Republican, Lindsey Graham being a formerly anti-Trump Republican who now is on the Trump side and seems to like golfing with Trump and being in the good graces of what was then a current and now former president or Marjorie Taylor Greene, who exists as an elected official only because of Trump and came to power by riding the full on QAnon Trumpian wing of the Republican Party. And part of it, as I've said before, depends on what Donald Trump's presence or lack thereof ends up being, meaning what does Trump decide to do based on his letter that we looked at earlier today? Uh, it seems Donald Trump is planning to at least try to remain involved in the Republican Party and American politics for the time being. But there's another factor here, which is the electorate, the Republican electorate, because remember that without a wacky Republican electorate, Trump's candidacy in 2016 goes nowhere. If Trump ran in the Democratic primary, he would have gotten nowhere because Democratic primary voters would never have been bamboozled into making Donald Trump the nominee. So 
one of the things that 2016 showed us was that the electorate matters and that the electorates are dramatically different in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Uh, Ronald Brownstein wrote a very interesting op ed for CNN where he asks whether the extremist wing of the Republican Party may be too big to fail. And there are certain numbers that tell us that, yes, there are way too many completely radicalized extreme Republicans for them to be relegated to political obscurity and irrelevance. Maybe even if Donald Trump goes quietly into the night and opts out of American politics, which again, for now, it doesn't seem like he's looking to do. And as Brownstein points out in this article, uh, the American Enterprise Institute, a right wing think tank, did a poll and found that nearly a third of Republicans embrace the convoluted QAnon conspiracy theory that Marjorie Taylor Greene has been espousing that Trump is defending the country against this uh, sort of uh, a cabal of child sex traffickers. A third of Republicans believe that one sixth to one fifth of Republicans have praised the January 6th riots in polling from Quinnipiac. 55% of Republicans agree that, quote, we may have to use force to save the American way of life. Four in 10 agree with the phrase, if elected leaders will not protect America, the people must do it themselves, even if it requires taking violent actions. Vanderbilt University did a study and found that 51% of Republicans agree with the statement that, quote, we may have to use force to save the traditional American way of life. Four in 10 uh, back the idea that a time will come when patriotic Americans have to take the law into their own hands. And in the American Enterprise Institute poll, half of Republicans said that the attack on January 6th was engineered not by Trumpists, but by Antifa. These aren't fringes when so many people believe this stuff. These aren't five, seven, 11 percent beliefs in the Republican Party. So, yes, we should be afraid because if that contingent takes over the party for the long term, it's a dystopian nightmare. Now, I think it bears repeating that Trump didn't create most of this. These extremists have been around in American politics for a long time. They just didn't always vote. They weren't always public about their beliefs and they didn't have a candidate that coalesced them and brought them out. And that's what's so dangerous about what's going on right now. So the best scenario is that the party is split. The Romneys have to fight the Lindsey Graham's and the QAnon people, and they all end up so busy fighting each other that they end up unable to stop Joe Biden and Democrats from hopefully getting things done. Now, Mitch McConnell knows that that's the risk. Part of Mitch McConnell voting not guilty on conviction on Saturday and then giving a speech saying how Donald Trump is practically speaking and morally speaking completely responsible for the riots. Part of this is Mitch McConnell desperate to figure out a way to not be tied up in fighting so that he can get back to what he's an expert in. And I say that not joking. He's really an expert in obstructing Democrats from getting anything done. The best case scenario is that they end up infighting and aren't able to obstruct. The worst case scenario is really bad, uh, and it includes that they are able to obstruct and these Trumpian clowns, the, the QAnon types 
uh, continue getting elected in the future. And um, that gets me really to the next thing I want to talk about, which is that this is a problem that is much bigger than one insurrection. The insurrection is a lens. It's a it's a gla it's a not really a mirror, but in a sense, it's a mirror. It's a one way mirror that lets us look at the bigger problem of radicalization. So I want to talk about that next. Um, there's a really great article in Politico that I encourage you to read. The article is by Zach Stanton and it's called The Problem Isn't Just One Insurrection, It's Mass Radicalization. And in this article, Zach writes that, quote, experts say the attack, meaning January 6th riot, is hugely worrying for reasons beyond what the Senate is debating. Unlike other recent spasms of American violence, this was not the work of a lone wolf nor of a small cell of radicals. The pathway to an attempted government overthrow unfolded in public, out loud on the Internet, in a process that experts call mass radicalization. We've been talking about how do you mass deprogram people. Zach Stanton is accurately talking about how there has been a mass radicalization that has taken place. I would argue that Trump winning the Republican primary was already an example of that back in 2016, about the degree to which the Republican Party had been de-intellectualized and mass radicalized. Uh, Zach goes on to say the protest was largely just the tip of the iceberg. No one knows how many Americans, tens of thousands more, would willingly have joined them if they'd been in Washington that day. It's a new challenge for America and a serious one at times and places when large groups of people have been inspired to embrace violence. It often leads to long term unrest, if not outright civil war. And right now, experts think it's happening faster than ever. We talked about this almost verbatim. Michael Jensen, an expert on extremism, said historically mass radicalization took time, but that's not our reality anymore. Jensen's research has found that over the roughly 15 past years, the average time span of radicalization in the U.S. has shrunk from 18 months to seven months, largely because of how our lives have shifted online. This research goes to exactly what I fear when I get a phone call from someone who says my cousin, my friend, my girlfriend in some cases have been radicalized merely by the videos recommended on YouTube and the things shared by their crazy aunts and uncles on Facebook. And in the past, it used to take longer to have a, such a shift in ideology. It's now happening really, really quickly. And uh, one of the real questions is the radicalization is happening faster and faster. The deprogramming, I don't know that can really happen any faster. And I've said before, this shift in the right started, I would argue, with the Reagan era in the 80s. Uh, welfare queens uh, oh, were overregulated, relatively benign compared to the things we're seeing now. That was the start. We're talking about a 40 year radicalization process societally. Individually, now the process is down to seven months for many individuals. How do you undo that? And it's something we've been studying and thinking about for a very long time. Uh, we are still seeing, I mean, listen, you know, at the micro level, I still see Trump 2020 flags. It's 2021. It's over. Uh, the Trump 2020 flags are, are still flying. And uh, you could even argue in a sense that that these are kind of new Confederate flags. Uh, more and more of society considers Confederate flags to be unacceptable. So now there's this new item to represent the ideology in some way. 
Uh, it's sort of like a, it's almost a dog whistle in a sense. It's like when we hear thugs used by certain folks to trigger the idea of black men uh, and the racialization of that word. These are the, the, the Trump 2020 flag in 2021 has almost become a defiant code in some sense. And until we really deal with I mean, listen, how, how we need to deal with education. We need to deal with culture. We need to deal with the sources of misinformation. Things really aren't going to change until we do that. Forty percent of the country still believes that the election was stolen uh, at, at, uh, at and the, the percentage of Republicans is higher. Um, so there is a real I mean, it's an information war. And I fear that truth is losing the information war. And we've also talked about the psychological aspects, magical thinking, warlike mentality. We're going to take losses in war. We have to do things in war that we wouldn't ordinarily do during peace times. These are the sort of ideologies and ideas that are infecting many of these people. And uh, this is, you know, the religious fundamentalism. Yes. What we are seeing with Trumpism is a pseudo religious fundamentalism where they do see Trump as the leader, as in some senses a, a religious figure, almost a deity, pseudo deity. Some might just call them uh, a, a uh, uh, an emotional leader, a spiritual leader of some kind. Uh, the common theme of all of these different things is authoritarianism. It's accomplished with a very similar trajectory fear, which Donald Trump started inciting in others in 2015 and even earlier, talking about China, immigrants, et cetera, fear Democrats even. You should fear them then indoctrination into a more authoritarian set of solutions for those fears that you've generated. And then, of course, I alone can fix it. Trump claiming that literally during his campaign, telling you you can't even believe what you're being told elsewhere. I'm the only person who tells you the truth. Maybe Newsmax and OAN tell you the truth as well. All of those elements are here. And um, this is unfortunately, yes, the fact that Trump was able to coalesce enough people to do what they did on January 6th. Horrible. He got impeached over it. It's not insignificant. It's not trivial. But the mass radicalization that led to that being possible over a lie that the election was stolen uh, should raise uh, many, many red flags. And it certainly uh, it certainly has. We're going to continue talking about it as we go forward. We'll take a quick break and be back after this. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. I want to take a second to tell you about one of our sponsors, SNH Masks. SNH Masks has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other protective gear for COVID-19. And they're giving my audience 20% off. SNH Masks is the company that I've personally been going to for face masks. I love and trust the products they sell. And that's actually why I reached out to them about being a sponsor. I've tried tons of different face masks this year, like many of you, and I still have not found a mask that is more comfortable or easier to breathe in than the washable cotton masks that they sell. It's made of a silky, lightweight cloth that feels great on the skin, has a convenient adjustable strap. They also have disposable cloth masks, which are really comfortable, as well as all of the other gear like face shields, alcohol wipes, no touch infrared thermometers. 
and all of their prices are very reasonable. I also love SNH masks because they've donated over 60,000 masks to healthcare institutions. They're an excellent company. Shipping is just five bucks and shipping is free on orders over one hundred and fifty dollars. You can get there by going to davidpackmancom slash mask. The link is in the podcast notes and you can save 20 percent on everything in their store when you use coupon code David. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. In the late phases of Donald Trump's second impeachment trial in which he was acquitted over the weekend, details emerged about an absolutely off the wall phone call between Donald Trump and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, which culminated with McCarthy screaming at Trump. Who the F do you think you're talking to, which is not typically the way people talk to presidents, particularly when the president is of the same party, both of the Republican Party. Uh, The call happened on January 6th. And the reason that McCarthy was on the phone with Donald Trump in the first place was that he was begging Trump to call off the rioters, explaining to Trump, these are your supporters. This is terrible. Call them off. Tell them to go home. And McCarthy implored Trump, explaining the rioters were breaking into his own office through windows. And reportedly, what set Kevin McCarthy off was when Donald Trump, continuing to refuse to call them off, said, Well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. That set McCarthy off into a tirade, who then said, Who the F do you think you're talking to? Now, layer one is that this is another cartoonishly childish data point in the Trump presidency. Trump unhinged, ignorant, absurd as a participant in the uh, American political system. But the bigger takeaway is about the January 6th riot, because this call confirms that Donald Trump obviously wasn't opposed to the rioting. We already knew that. But he also wasn't just an uninvolved observer who may have liked it. He was being told as the president of the United States, This is what these rioters are doing. These are your supporters. And he was pleased when he says to McCarthy, call them off. Now, these people, they're more upset about the election results than you are. That's a comment that's supportive of the rioters. Trump believes the rioters are acting correctly in relation to uh, what Donald Trump feels happened in the election, which is the big lie that he repeated endlessly that it was stolen and he really won. Trump's mindset was call them off. Why would I call them off? They're angry for the right reasons. They're doing the right things. And then, of course, hours later, far too late to have any impact, Trump put out that pre recorded uh, uh, video half heartedly saying, It's time to go home peacefully, but we love you and you're great people and you're right to be upset, but it's time to go home now. This all took place in the midst of what Mike Pence uh, when Mike Pence was in physical danger at the Capitol on January 6th. And of course, Trump knew about that and yet still went on Twitter and denounced Mike Pence. Remember when Trump tweeted, we have to now go into a deleted tweet archive to get these because Trump's Twitter account is banned. Trump saying Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do. I'm sorry. Yes. Trump said Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. When Trump sent that at that point, 
Trump knew Pence was in danger and still tweeted that. Now, once again, Kevin McCarthy is no angel in this. Kevin McCarthy is still merely an amoral political opportunist. How do we know that? Because just weeks after this call where he said to Trump, uh, who the F do you think you're talking to? Kevin McCarthy went down and did his pilgrimage to Florida at Trump's Mar-a-Lago, met with Trump to recruit Trump's help in getting the House of Representatives back in 2022. McCarthy learned nothing despite everything that happened on January 6th, flying down to beg Trump for help in the next election. McCarthy still standing by Trump. And so these people deserve to be voted out. It's all just at every point. It's just how do, how am I affected by this? On January 6th, protesters, pro Trump rioters were breaking into Kevin McCarthy's office. So McCarthy said to Trump, you got to stop this. And then Trump didn't. And so McCarthy was furious. It's just how does it affect McCarthy? And then two weeks past that, Trump is gone. Democrats have the White House. Democrats have the Senate. Democrats have the House. And McCarthy wants to win it back. Well, if Trump can help, I'll fly down and uh, do my pilgrimage, uh, pray at the altar of Trump down in Mar-a-Lago. These people are pathetic. They deserve to keep losing, but it's up to us to make sure that they do. We are very quickly seeing a sort of fork in the Republican Party where some Republicans are doubling down on Trump. People like Lindsey Graham, who says he's headed down to play golf with Trump in the next week. Kevin McCarthy, who we just spoke about, who, despite a, a angry phone confrontation with Trump on January 6th, flew down to Florida to recruit Trump's help in winning the House back in 2022. You've got those people. Um, but then you have other Republicans who are sometimes overtly, sometimes a little more covertly distancing from Donald Trump. Mitch McConnell was an incredible example of this in his speech moments after the acquittal of Donald Trump in his second impeachment trial this weekend, which we already discussed. Another interesting one is Republican Nikki Haley. Haley was the governor of South Carolina. She later was Donald Trump's ambassador to the United Nations. She's completely abandoning Donald Trump now. And she says Trump, quote, let us down and that we, quote, shouldn't have followed him. This is arguably the most direct and forceful rebuke of Trump from strictly political figures that worked for Trump. We've seen lots of rebukes from secretaries and folks who had more concrete roles. Trump's former secretary of state, Trump's former secretary of defense, Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton. But this is different when it's Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley's interview with Politico was published going into this weekend, and it's quite stunning. She pulls no punches. Let's look at some quotes. Some of these are from different parts of the interview. She says, quote, he's not going to run for federal office again. I don't think he's going to be in the picture. I don't think he can. He's fallen so far. She says we need to acknowledge he let us down. He went down a path he shouldn't have, and we shouldn't have followed him and we shouldn't have listened to him. And we can't let that ever happen again. When I tell you I'm angry, it's an understatement. Mike Pence has been nothing but loyal to that man. He's been nothing but a good friend of that man. I am so disappointed in the fact that despite the loyalty and friendship he had with Mike Pence, that he would do that to him like I'm disgusted by it. And lastly, Nikki Haley saying, I think he's going to find himself further and further isolated. I think his business is suffering at this point. I think he's lost any sort of political viability he was going to have. I think he's lost his social media, which meant the world to him. I mean, I think he's lost the things that really could have kept him moving. 
Now, I want to repeat once again. This is really important about our analysis of what Nikki Haley and others have been saying. These quotes aren't about realizing Nikki Haley. She gets it now. She gets she really gets it. Not at all. These people are responsible for Trump in various ways. First of all, in general, Republicans for decades radicalized the party more and more so that Trump was then able to run and win in 2016, never would have been able to win a Democratic primary. But they also worked for him despite knowing this. And this has always been Trump. Nikki went and was ambassador to the United Nations for Trump, despite all the things we knew about Trump. So this is not an analysis of people having an awakening and all of that stuff. And these are good Republicans. This is a story about a Republican Party that is currently pulling itself apart or may, maybe is going to pull itself apart. Some newcomers are riding the Trump wave. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Madison Cawthorn and others. Some long timers are just sticking with Trump like Lindsey Graham. Some long timers seem to be distancing from Trump like Mitch McConnell and others. And then you've got people that were never really with Trump. Mitt Romney. OK, yeah, he thought maybe he could be Trump's secretary of state. He went and had turtle soup and frogs legs with Trump early on, but has basically a distance from Trump uh, uh, years and years ago. Nikki Haley wants a continued political career. She's young. She's only 49 compared to some of these guys in their 70s and 80s. She wants to wash herself of the stink of Trump. So now she's going through this process. And what we're learning here is quite simply. They knew all along what Trump was. They merely pretended not to know when Trump was their ride to notoriety or a position of power or a position of prestige. They are even more immoral than we thought because they weren't even tricked by Trump. If they were really tricked, we could say they're dumb, but they're less immoral. They weren't tricked. They looked away deliberately. They knew all along what it was and they want. I mean, look at Chris Christie. Remember Chris Christie denouncing Trump endlessly during the primary in which he ran and Lindsey Graham, too, by the way, uh, then standing behind Trump figuratively and literally remember the video of Chris Christie standing behind Trump looking like he ate a bad oyster um, and saying, yeah, Trump, Trump, I'm with Trump. And then eventually Chris Christie starting to make a little more sense on Trump over the last six months or so. He knew all along it was just a calculation. How much power can I grab by attaching myself uh, to what was then the rising star of Trump? They all knew all along and none of them deserve to be forgiven. But from a practical perspective, it does raise questions about the future of the Republican Party, which we will continue to talk about. I got a very interesting email uh, voicemail rather about 2024. You can call my voicemail number any time of day. And many of you do the number of voicemails we get in the middle of the night. Stunning. Uh, here's one about 2024. 2192 David P is the number. Hi, David. Um, this is Arisaya O'Shannon. I'm calling from Towns, Michigan. And I was wondering um, the entire Trump impeachment scenario that's going on. Yes. What do you think it means for this country that? All the evidence that was shown, the, the the footage of the riot and the breaking of the Capitol, and somehow he was still acquitted. Like, what does that say about this country, 
um, does it worry you? Because um, I'm really afraid. Like, if, if he can get away with something like that, what are we going to do in 2024 when, like, a Trump Jr. runs and, like, right. gets into office? I'm terrified. What do you think it says about this country, and where are we going? Thanks. Yeah. Bye. One of the most uh, disgusting I guess we have to call them realities that we have to accept uh, is that when you look at the Republican vote to acquit in the Senate and then you look at Trump's letter saying I'm sticking around and we've got a lot of stuff planned for the next few months and you see that 64 percent of Republicans in a recent poll, 70 percent of Republicans in another recent poll say if Trump created his own party, I would leave the GOP and join the Trump party. What you can you have no choice but to accept that a Trump like figure could indeed win again in 2024. Now, the hope is that if there's a split between Trump and the Republican Party, that they do damage to each other and you could have a sort of cannibalistic effect where Trump takes some of the Republican Party. Trump or a Trumpian candidate, maybe Trump Jr., maybe Ivanka, maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene, who knows? They run and they take a bunch of the vote and then you've got the Republican vote, which is damaged. And then you end up with a situation uh, like the Ross Perot situation of the early 90s with a Democrat winning that. That's the ideal scenario. Now, there are people who will look at that and say, you know, the math could work out differently. And I understand that. Um, But if 64 percent of the country is willing to follow Trump. We all have to recognize that that is exactly the concern with not ridding ourselves of this problem right away. And how could we when tens of millions of people continue to support it? So, yeah, the caller is absolutely right in her concern. We have a great bonus show today. We are going to talk about, you know, I get emails all the time from people from from the trolls. David, why won't you ever talk about what's going on with Andrew Cuomo in New York? Because Andrew Cuomo doesn't seem to be managing a lot of things correctly. And there's a lot of things coming out. We've been covering it from the beginning and we will again cover how the covid-19 story is getting even worse for Democratic New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. That's on today's bonus show. Also on the bonus show, the Boeing 737 Max is flying again and it's very quietly flying again. And we're going to talk about how airlines have brought it back because it has been cleared. but. They're not advertising it, and it's obvious why lots of people still aren't interested if they are going back to flying at this point during the pandemic. They're not interested in flying on the 737 Max, but it is back. And I'm going to talk. I have a a kind of a personal story about this myself. We will also talk about how the Supreme Court has stayed the execution of an Alabama inmate who has requested a pastor's presence. The details are very interesting, and we will discuss that and more on today's bonus show. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com. You can use the coupon code if you so please to get a discount. The coupon code is better 21. You can also get instant access to the bonus show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash David Pacman show. I will see you on the bonus show. Sadly, if you don't have access to the bonus show, uh, we will meet again tomorrow. See you then.